0: welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Today, the title of the message is Creating Environments and Imparting Faith. Creating Environments and Imparting Faith. If we expect Uh, a legacy to live on uh, past uh, that's larger than our life. And that is the byline of this generation series, to live a life uh, that lasts, large enough that lasts. I'm getting that wrong, but I'll say it right in a few minutes. Um, And to do that, we have to be sure that we are being intentional in what we are creating today, that we are creating an environment that passes Values correctly, and not just passing down fruit, but imparting faith, and there is a distinct difference in what passing along just our fruit in life uh, and the um, outcomes of what that actually does than imparting faith into people. so I hope to endeavor us to a very practical message uh, at the end, but our uh, scripture. Over this series has been Psalm 112, one verse to uh, one to two. Verses one to two. And it reads, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. His offspring will be what? Oh, come on. That sounded they like they're gonna be weak. His offspring will be his offspring will be in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. He will have mighty offspring. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The second scripture we're gonna be focusing on here today is Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. And that reads, "'For though by this time you ought to be teachers,' Zinger, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, For those who have their powers of discernment trained by what? Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Thank you, Father. I thank you here today that your spirit is with us. I thank you that our hearts are ready. Help me speak clearly and directly. And God, I thank you that we walk away here with a passion, not just the knowledge, but the passion and the tools to create incredible environments and to impart faith. And we all said, amen. Amen. So as we've been talking through generations, uh, one of the things we've been centering on and, and looking at in the past couple of weeks is that things are hard to hand off. They're hard to pass on, whether it be the responsibility at a job, and we're transitioning someone in new, there's, there's a, a, a kind of finesse that you have to go through, and it's hard to hand that over. At the moment, I am in transition from short hair to long hair. And I'm in that middle awkward phase. Can you tell? I may do this like 50 times. The classic uh, example is the baton race, the baton relay race, Right. Uh, I'm the kind of person, I don't know if you're the same, but I watch those races just thinking and waiting for the person to drop the baton. <laughs> so uh, there is such a skill. I actually watched a YouTube video uh, that was 25 minutes long. I didn't watch the whole thing. About the technique of passing a baton. And it's, it, there's, a, there's a gigantic skill to it. But there is, even after immense training, still failure happens uh, one of the uh, examples that stuck out to me this week is uh, the Sagrada, I, I might be saying that wrong, the Sagrada de la Familia Basilica. Come on, I did pretty good, right? Mi piel que gringo, pero mi corazón y mi sangre es latino por vida, papi. Soy miclo, that's for Hannah. Um... <laughs> That that is. Uh, does everyone know that famous church building that's in Spain that's been built for over a century now? It uh, actually began being built in 1882. Construction begun, and it's still yet to be completed. Absolute marvel of architecture. It was all hand carved by stone. Still, even in this day and age, as the project hands over, it's not the same person. Uh, from 1882 who began that project, uh, to hand that over, there has been so many hang-ups, so many changes, so many going back to the original plans of Gowdy, uh, the original architect there. But it's been challenging. So the reason I say all that is just to give those examples that handing things off is hard. It requires the commitment of both parties to play their part and ensure Success. And this is true even on a more macro level. Historians and sociologists have studied four years and noticed a, a very common trend. It has a bunch of different labels, but for today, uh, let's just call it the problem of the third generation. Basically, what they've found is that it's incredibly difficult to pass anything from the first generation down through to the third generation. It's difficult to pass wealth. It's difficult to pass faith. It's difficult to pass values. It's difficult to pass a business. In fact, Harvard's Business Review wrote an article that said only 10% of family businesses survive the third generation. Isn't that incredible? Only 10% of family businesses survive that third generation. It's very difficult. To do. The adage, the saying goes that the first generation starts the business, the second one runs the business, and the third one ruins the business. One earns it, they earn that business, the next protects it, just puts their arms around it and does its best to keep it going as is, and the third rejects the principles that led to its success and therefore rejects the prosperity that comes with it. As a general Principle, we might say that first generations are concerned about building and imparting, while second and third generations are more concerned about receiving and maintaining. For the first generation, the desire to impart is the natural outgrowth of having invested so much in the building of it. When you've invested a lot into something, you don't just abandon it when your time is up, right? You care about that transition. You care about the legacy that is going to continue. And that is just speaking about things that we can grasp and uh, that we can see and physically measure. But what about the imparting of immaterial things? The passing on of that which is immeasurably more valuable and important in the long run than the project at work or even the family business. How much more should we be concerned about building and imparting the kingdom of God, right? The byline of this series is where I'm gonna get it right. Living a life large enough to leave behind. It begs the question, what does life consist of? Because that's what we are going to be leaving behind. In Luke 12, 13 to 21 We read, someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, (laughs) you guys say this. But God said to him, (laughs) we got to get better at this. But God said to him, Fool. fool, what you looking at, fool? This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, and is not rich toward God. The man was concerned with his share of inheritance that was technically owed to him. And Jesus, you know, perhaps perceives that he's concerned about kicking back and and cooling out, right? I get my inheritance and then I can just have no worries. It's time to relax, time to maintain, time to be merry and drink. He has a second generation concern and Jesus invites him into a first generation mindset summarized as being rich towards God. In fact, had the man's desire been right, we wouldn't be wrong to assume that perhaps God in all his providence would have directed some of the inheritance towards him. James said, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask wrongly to spend on your own pleasures rather than being what? Rich towards God. Because from God's point of view, our lives don't consist of what we gained, but by what we gave. Let me say that again. From God's point of view, our lives don't consist of what we gained, but of what we gave. Our life consists of how we lived for Christ and what we did for Christ by sowing into His kingdom, literally by being rich and generous to Him and His purposes, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Why? Because their souls were the real prize to Paul. Because Paul understood the priority of salvation that God had given him. Christianity is... uh, We sometimes want to treat it like taxes. (laughs) What's the least I can part with and it still be legal? (laughs) We need to treat it more like an investment account. What's the most I can deposit for the future and still have enough for my needs today? We want deep generational faith to have built a church not simply that outlives us but exceeds our own personal reach even while we are alive. When we are unified as the church, our reach expands exponentially, right? This is why the New Testament can say that Christianity spread throughout the entire Roman Empire before the apostles even died. You do not have to wait for the literal next generation to come to come along, to have a generational impact. You can have a wide impact in your lifetime if you'll be committed to deep impartation and investment into the kingdom of God, which is, just to clarify, the kingdom of God here today, which is the church where you were planted. This is the desire of the spirit within you. You know the question that comes around, what's my purpose in life? There is a desire within your spirit that goes, holy counterculture to what your flesh is trying to tell its, what the purpose is. This is the answer. It's the desire of the spirit within you, even if it's not the surface level desire of your flesh. There is a calling within your heart, within your spirit that is seeking a response to what God is calling us to do. Fulfilling this desire does not happen by accident. It happens by intentional investment. Of what? Of all you have, material and immaterial. It's interesting that Jesus points out in that parable that being rich towards God is actually done with your wealth and possessions. You invest into the kingdom the same way you invest into your own future, by directing your resources towards it. In saying this, Jesus is echoing vast amounts of wisdom and instruction from the Old Testament. The key, every Christian needs to eventually shift their mindset from one who's inheriting. (laughs) Are we all just living in the inheritance? We need to switch from one who is inheriting to one who is imparting. Become a first generation Christian and in like your legacy depends on it. You might be uh, a first, you might be a second, fifth, 10th generation Christian, but you need to think, listen to me, you need to think like a first generation Christian, otherwise you'll end up behaving like a third who squanders what they received. Just like Jesus went on to say to the man concerned with his inheritance that if we seek first seek first the kingdom of God then God will provide the things that we are concerned about in other words if we if we live like first generation people then God will bless us like second generation people let's impart and invest and sow and give and share Christ like our legacy depends on it because it does <laughs> Because God has sovereignly chosen that every generation of the church would depend on the generation before. Did you realize that? Hebrews 5, let's go back there. By this time you what? Ought to be teachers. That's not speaking to the church leaders. That's not a direct uh, word for Pastor James and Pastor Jake and myself. No, this is a word to all Christians The principle is that God's intention is that we all become those who invest, not just inherit. There's a great commentary called the New Bible Commentary that says the readers have become slow to learn or more literally dull with respect to what is heard, despite their initial enthusiasm. You know, the the pink cloud, I don't know what you call it, that, that first time falling in love and everything's really great and then commitment comes into play. Despite their initial enthusiasm as Christians, a certain sluggishness has crept in and the writer fears that they may now be unwilling to work out the deeper implications of the gospel and respond with faith and obedience. The deeper implications of the gospel. Implications are conclusions we should draw based upon the truth that we know. What are the implications of the truth? That Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, and rose again in power. That uh, In that, inviting us into the kingdom of God through our own death and resurrection in Christ. The implications are that we do like Paul and very gladly spend and be spent for the sake of another person's soul even if it's just one soul. The commentary continues on, and it says, one sign of this developing slackness in their unwillingness or inability to be teachers. uh, After a certain time, anyone instructed in faith ought to be able to explain it to others. Such a great question to ask yourself. Can I explain my faith to others? If people want to be taught the elementary truth, truths of God's Word over and over again, when they should be communicating basic Christian teaching to others and desiring solid food for themselves. A serious case of arrested spiritual growth has developed when that isn't happening. We become stuck as kids. We become stuck as children. Paul says in 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, what did he do? I gave up childish ways. Transitioning from childhood to manhood is answering the call to invest and not just receive. I'll let that sink in. Transitioning from childhood to manhood is answering the call. There is a call, people, to invest and not just receive. The principle is that we have to courageously, selflessly, all step into the position of investing into the kingdom of God. Going from milk to meat. Not very exciting if I said, hey, come over to my place tonight. We're gonna have a party and drink a bunch of milk. Oh yeah, come over, here's, here's some milk, so good. Almond milk, because we're in LA. Oat milk, sorry. But everyone loves to gather around a barbecue, right? You tell, I tell you, I'm having a barbecue all the invited. everyone's coming. But you cannot have that barbecue until you, you kill your sacred dairy cow of self-preservation and throw that baby on the offering as an altar. That's why Paul... Uh, keeps telling us to be living sacrifices in Romans 12. Keep your whole life on the altar and don't take it off. It was real easy to do those sacrifices back then because the cow was dead, lamb was was sacrificed, but we, we are called to be living sacrifices. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm that sucker that gets on the altar and goes, yes, oh, the Sunday worship was amazing. On Monday morning, I have to incline my heart once again i gotta, I got to put this sucker right back on that altar. Tertullian, who's a second century church father, uh, this is a quote from him. He says, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. A martyr is someone who has counted the highest cost of discipleship and pays it. Could it be that so much of the Western church is struggling in comparison to the growth of the persecuted church because we often resist even the minimum cost and therefore plant so little seed. First generation Christians pay whatever the price is necessary to ensure they are imparting not just the fruit of a life lived faithfully to Christ, but the seed of faith itself. Fruit is reward, but faith is risk. And it's in investing. This is what true depth is all about. Not just knowing deeply, but living deeply. Depth in Christianity is measured not by what you know, but by what you sow. Come on, I feel like a preacher when I say it. Definitely in Christianity is measured not by what you know, but by what you sow. Come on. The shallows in Christianity equal having just enough for yourself. So you personally can keep going. We got our self-help Jesus. We got our self-help New Testament. But the depths of Christianity equals imparting into others so that they can run in God's plan. Uh, Throughout this series, we looked at Solomon at at one point, whether it was Pastor James or Pastor Jake. Uh, He had a strong start. Strong start in his wealth, But he lost his way and so did the generations after him because they passed down fruit, not faith. Not God's plan. That is not God's plan. It is God's plan that you would prosper internally and externally and generationally. So a couple of pointed questions for you. Why not serve in kids? Why not serve in youth? Why not serve in our university ministry? If you don't tithe, why not? You won't be able to afford it until you do. And you'll never lose by making Jesus and his church your financial priority. I can assure you of that. There are deeper implications of the gospel. You understanding me? God's money, God's choice. Some of us need to consider the cost of not. Revelation 2 uh, verses 1 to 5, it reads, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands. The seven stars are symbolic of the angels assigned to the churches. There is a spiritual reality to the house of God in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands are the church, are the churches. I know your works. So he's speaking now to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The importance of remembering their first love. The first love is believed to be for the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians' zeal for reaching the lost. John is speaking to second generation Christians at this point in Ephesus. What are they doing? They're protecting. They're protecting the faith, but they've lost sight of the command to impart the faith, which Jesus says will disqualify them altogether from being a church at all, removing the lampstand. That was the cost of protecting instead of investing. That's the cost of not doing this. This is the key. Every Christian needs to see themselves as a first generation Christian as one imparting and not just inheriting. That will happen when we start to think about purpose, the way Jesus thinks about purpose and the way the apostles thought about purpose. What does that mean? It means that people coming To the faith in Christ is the number one priority that you and I have. That is our purpose. Psalm 112 verse two, the mighty offspring in the New Testament takes on the meaning just beyond physical children is what I was saying before. It certainly includes our children and our kids, but it's disciples in general. It's those coming into the kingdom and family of God. This is the call upon every disciple in John 15 when Jesus commands us to bear fruit for the glory of God. The fruit being the disciples of Christ that we make throughout our lives. The fruit being the disciples we make throughout our life. Fruit needs a good environment to grow in. It needs the right environment to grow in. So we have to be certain that we are creating an intentional Uh, intentional and certain that we are creating an environment that lasts. Florida oranges need a Florida environment. Did you know that? California avocados need a what? Californian environment. Not gonna do that in Alaska. The disciples of Jesus need a Jesus environment. Jesus is the legitimate first-generation Christian who effectively transformed 11 men from fishermen and tax collectors and whatever else into the 11 men who transformed the world because Jesus brought them into the environment of His life and grew them. It made the old way of living no longer interesting. Following Jesus means living counterculturally in a manner that makes the current culture seem really boring and really bland. Living for yourself, prioritizing yourself, hoarding your money, boring. First generation faith means you're building for the future. We do that by creating an environment that cultivates the fruit and then invites people into that environment. The church is like a greenhouse, creating an environment conducive to growth for all those who plant there. That's why we invest into the greenhouse. If we don't do this, we're still creating an environment and leaving a legacy, just not the one that God wants. Did you know that? Even if, if you decide, oh, I'm not going to do that and I'm going to do something, you're intentionally creating an environment always whether you know it consciously or whether you don't. We, we choose to weed the garden or we choose to let it, all the weeds take over. There is a legacy in this. And I wanna tell a story. Billy Graham, right? We all know Billy Graham. Yes? Cool. Is the coffee kicking in? No. <laughs> no, brother. It's not. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting down. This is awesome. Um, Billy Graham got saved in a tent revival meeting, right? Middle of nowhere. This guy, little kid, gets saved, gives his life. This guy goes on and starts this incredible ministry, evangelizing to many, millions come to Christ. One of those crusades he holds in New Zealand, young man named Dennis Barton turns up to that crusade and gives his life to Christ. That young man feels the call to go and plant a church. So he does so in a, a, a little town. It was called Littleton. <laughs> Not kidding. It's weird. It's where the Hobbits were filmed. They actually found the first Hobbits there. It was awesome. Anyway, he planted the church in Littleton. Okay, that church didn't really do a whole lot of growth. It was, it was an older crew of people, and it was kind of the same. I think the youth leader there was 92 years old. But at one point, the hippie revolution started happening and these seekers and searchers for truth were everywhere. My parents, Phil and Chris Pringle, were in the midst of experimenting with the occult and felt all these dark forces. And uh, a friend of theirs, mother, called them and said, you need to come to church. Took them to Dennis Barton's church. And in that church, they gave their life to Christ, was set free. Years later, they felt the call, you know what, we're gonna go plant a church. They went to Sydney. They started in a surf club, down on the beach, this tiny little surf club, and would do a Sunday service there every week. One of those Sundays, a, uh, a guy walks in and he's still covered in uh, salt water and put his surfboard outside and he walked in, he gave his life to Christ. That young man's name was Dean Sweetman. Dean Sweetman began to feel the call within him, I'm gonna go plant a church. He went to Atlanta and he took his family over, his two kids, Barn and Jake Sweetman. Jake And and Dean filled the call to plant a church here in LA. They do so, and Jake takes that on. And here we sit today in the legacy of a tent revival meeting that just one, Billy Graham, and then just another, Dennis Barton. We create an environment that lasts. I'm telling you, when you impart faith and not solely fruit, not excluding fruit, get that fruit and pass it on, but without faith, it is not a lasting legacy. It's important that we must cultivate the right environment like our legacy depends on it. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8, it says, and these words that I teach you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. I love that it says on your heart. That equals the culture of life. So that whatever you're doing, you're creating an environment for the impartation of faith. And this is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that culture trumps rules. That's why the New Covenant is described as the law that is now being written on the heart and not on the stone. In other words, the generational command of Deuteronomy six is fulfilled. Because God changes the environments of our heart and when we really allow him full access there, it yields a change in the collective environment of the house, this house. This means you're leading, you are leading by example. You cannot contribute to the creation of an environment outside you if it's not the environment within you. We here at C3LA, we want you to live a Christian life. No more sacred and secular divide. And that should be the natural outcome of a heart committed to Christ. Your inner environment becomes the outer environment in which you and others get to live in. And in that environment, impartation can happen and genuine faith can be handed off to those around us and those behind us. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to get through three points. Okay, you with me? You still with me? Is this good? Incredible. So here's three qualities of the environment we must invite people into if we want to impart faith. And I'm going to say we all want to impart faith. First one, environment of the joy of knowing God personally. Is your life full of the joy of knowing God personally? It always goes back, and these are those simple tools, but to progress from milk to meat, we really need to use these tools. We need to pray, and we need not just to read God's Word, but study it. Not just get a... uh, you know when you study for a test and you're like, well, I know all the questions, so I'm just gonna study the answers. You don't really know. You, you would just, you would, you're just memorizing something. But when you come around to uh, uh, what they would call critical thinking, you begin to gain your own understanding of it. It sinks deep within you. Let's be people who just pray about everything. <laughs> In response to life's troubles and opportunities. When you're sitting down for a coffee with someone and something's coming up, why don't you just say, let's pray. Let's consider what the Bible has to say about everything rather than offering our own opinions or Jordan Peterson's opinions or what Joe Rogan said. No, let's consider what the Bible has to say first rather than offering our our opinions to people's questions. Let's seek the Word of God. Read it with the goal of letting it master you rather than you trying to master it. This is culture and environment rather than just ritual. This is countercultural. If you invite people into praying about everything, guess what? It'll make gossip really uninteresting. It'll make worry really uninteresting. And you might respond, Oh, that's so Christian. Well, yes, that's the point that we would be labeled so Christian. Make cultural Christianity the stuff of yesterday. Make real Christianity the thing of today. When you live like knowing God and involving God personally in your life is the whole point and you carry that into here, in a Sunday church, into neighbourhood groups in your workplace, you'll help create an environment in this church where people also want to live the same way. What attracted people to Jesus that He spoke as one who had authority and in ways people could understand. In other words, he spoke as one who really knew God. Let Christ have command of you your whole life, and that'll lead you to really knowing him instead of just knowing stuff about him. Jesus talks to the person who is truly yielded to him. That's the environment of knowing God personally. This kind of environment will change lives for generations When they enter it. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I living this way? Is this the environment that I am creating? Second point here today. You still with me? Environment of the presence and power of God in his church. We need to re-spiritualize our understanding of the church. Remember that angel in revelation for each church? In our postmodern sensibility of rejecting institutions and wanting relationship, not religion, we've mistakenly come to think that there is nothing unique about the gathered church. What a ripe opportunity for the devil to seize with COVID and tricks and trick so many of us in Christianity into believing that online is the just as good. I can't tell you how many people I have met in this city and other cities whose pastor is in another city. Or my pastor's Michael Todd. My pastor is Stephen Furtick, but I'm here. No, you need a community. You need to be gathered in unity with those who are running with God's plan and you need to join hand in hand in doing the same. Pastor Jake asked a question, which I loved, and I grew up in a household like this as well and have the same household today, where there was a question that was never asked in his household, which was, should we go to church this Sunday? Why shouldn't it be a question of whether we go to church? In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, I wanna say this just as an encouragement. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Is that clear enough? As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love the image of stirring up. I think there is sediment that happens within our lives when we just stillly, uh, in the stillness of pulling away from church, just begin to get comfortable. And the sediment of what once was so potent in our life is sitting at the bottom. You need to get stirred up. You need to put yourself in the middle of church and stir up your faith to get that potency back within your spirit. There is a stirring when we come together that the good things in our faith do not become sediment in our lives, but we stir them back up into life, into potent love. Church isn't meant to be something other than Sunday brunch or the Christian version of community. I love that because I'm a man and I, I don't think I've ever said brunch. I say late breakfast or early lunch. Brunch. I don't know. It doesn't sound like feel like a man thing. Sons happening next week. Be there. We're going to brunch. <laughs> Ephesians says that it's by the church that God is making his manifold wisdom known to rulers and authorities in heavenly spiritual places. Because this isn't just a community, this is the church and when we gather, the unseen realm is paying attention. So that should make us not only reject that question of should I go and embrace the question, how am I going to come? With what attitude and with what heart What will I bring in my hands to give to God? On the note of giving, if church is spiritual, am I investing my finances into that reality and realm? The church is not another charity, hear me. Your tithe shouldn't be going to a charity. And the church is not just another little 501c3. It's the outpost of the kingdom of God. Invest material things into an immaterial reality. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? The goal of the tithe is for it truly to be seen as a bare minimum commitment for C3LA. The floor, not the ceiling. We wanna give our whole lives into building this most unique entity on the planet. So, I want us to ask ourselves this Am I thinking about the church this way, or is it just another service? Is it just a community gathering? Is it just a group? Or do I understand the deeper spiritual reality and do I invest accordingly into that environment for the people to inherit both now and in the future? This is my last point. Ben can come up. Environment of the thrill of being used. By God. Being led by the Holy Spirit is another way of saying being used by God. And being led by the Spirit always amounts to courageously and selflessly imparting into others. Have you lost the thrill of of, of the adventure of chasing after God? I think it's such a good question. Is there a thrill in what I am doing here for God? Being led by the Spirit will lead you towards the lost, even if only to put a pebble in their shoe about the reality of Jesus. If we go our whole lives and can't say that someone is here in the body of Christ because of us, then can we say we were led by the Spirit? Imagine the environment we could create in this church if every one of us was absolutely desperate, to be used by God and what kind of faith we would impart. Many in the church in these days have a predisposed kind of cynicism toward miracles. Kind of like a Thomas-like attitude. They are possible, but they are not likely. I can attest to that. As a pastor, I can attest to cynicism coming into my mind. I don't want any of us to get trapped in this thinking of, oh yeah, it was possible then, not possible now. When I I lose that kind of faith or that cynicism begins to come in, this is what I do. I go to the New Testament and I read all the miracles that Jesus performed. I don't read it like it's Harry Potter. Like at some far-off mystery land? No, this was reality in history. We have been called and empowered by the same Spirit in Jesus. His Holy Spirit is here with us today. I love in uh, in, in Romans, Paul talks. He says, "Be transformed by the renewing of your mind." I want you to remember this. If if you have that cynicism. Transform your mind. Renew your mind over and over again. For this is what I truly believe, that they will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Am I being used by God, led by the Spirit, is an important question for us to continually ask ourselves. Do we love and pursue the miracle of salvation? In others, Do we disqualify ourselves in ministering to this person? Maybe there's a cynical thought. It really won't make much of a difference. Bringing it all back to answering the question, am I doing these things? Is this the culture environment of my life? Because I can't contribute to a culture if I haven't personally cultivated it. If the answer is no, then you're not living like a first generation Christian. You're living like a second or third who is just inheriting more than you're imparting. You still need to be taught. By now, you ought to be teachers. That's not to condemn. This is an encouragement. But if we feel like we're just feeding ourselves milk, just the sustaining uh, little inspirational cup that we have, Let's make a switch. Let's make a a commitment here today as a church to one another, to our Father, to our Saviour, that we are committed to creating environments and imparting faith. So what in your heart, life, environment right now is inhibiting the obedience to the Word of God in ways that take away from the environment of the church? You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.